Grand Canyon, and you know, it, it's just an, an incredible place to do so. And, and my philosophy with taking pictures is as long as you just take a few thousand, a couple, with the help of Photoshop, might look something decent. Um, and so these are a couple that me, um, me and Ashlyn actually got to take. But would you, have you ever experienced, when you come back from an incredible trip like this, and you try to share pictures with people, they just don't quite get it. They don't quite have the same emotion that you have. <laughs> you don't have the investment in it. They, you know, they're like, oh, that, that's a nice picture. Oh, what, I, I'm glad you had a good time. Oh, 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 that's a beautiful grandchild. What, whatever the pictures are, if you've ever put together a scrapbook, there's just not that same passion and energy that they have invested in it. Because, you see, when you've taken a picture and taken the time to put together, so to speak, a photo book of it, it's something that's very personal. You remember where you were when you took that picture. You remember the thoughts, the emotion, the magnitude of some of the things you took pictures of, the preciousness of what you've taken a picture of. You have participated immensely in the picture itself. And so when you flip through your photo book or scrapbook, it is something that is an incredibly personal experience. And you have a ton of emotional pull towards those, those pictures that somebody who didn't participate in the trip, they failed, to, um, they failed to feel that emotion. And so I feel like this is kind of what has happened to Easter. And as we're making this transition um, into a, a time of preparation for, for Easter, I want us to look at our union with Christ. Because the Easter story, I feel like when we open it up every year, um, we, we fail to see our emotional involvement, our participation in this story. We, we flip through it like, oh, what, I am, I, and we truly are, but I'm thankful that Christ died on the cross. Yes, that, that was good. And, and oh, good, he raised from the dead. That, that's a good thing, too. And, you know, we're just kind of flipping through the pages and just regurgitating the, the story to ourselves. We don't have that emotional involvement that comes through participation in the story. But I can assure you, this story, the only reason that we have this story, this wonderful, beautiful story of Easter, is because of our participation in it. There is no story outside of our participation. And that's something that we have lost. And something that hopefully today as we look at what it means to be united with Christ, what does that really mean? How does that change my perspective from this uh, outsider mentality of just looking at the story and being like, yep, that's a nice story, to something much more personal and much more beautiful and much more scriptural of a position of, this is what happened to me. This is my story. So what is our union with Christ? I have a definition that I, I came up with this week. Put that up. It's the literal fusion into one being of Christ Jesus and the believer, through which salvation and all other blessings occur. This is central to, to our evangelical theology. We have to get this. Because from this one point, it's, it's like a diamond. 
with all the different facets, all those different spiritual blessings, whether that be justification, sanctification, adoption, the ability to pray to our Father, it all is central around this theology of our union with Christ. This is something that is so highly important that Paul literally writes about it 216 times in the Scriptures, but for some reason we've kind of glazed over it kind of as a Christian euphemism. We kind of see in Christ, with Christ, united with Christ, as just kind of one of those nice little phrases that we just kind of equate to with the thous and the these and all those things. At least I have. That, that, that is how um, I, for so long, before I really wrestled with this theology, that is how I um, really came to the Scriptures. It's real. This isn't just Christian jargon. If you struggle to wrap your mind around the fact of a real personal union, where you are one completely with Christ, not just some where we throw the terms around, if you struggle with just really understanding, which, let me tell you, we all do to some respect, as we sang, you're more awesome than we know, we don't know everything. God gives us some great examples in the scriptures of just trying to give us a semblance of understanding of what this union looks like. And the first, and the youth group should know this one quite well, is the vine from John 15. John 15, 4. It's written, Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine because neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. It's this idea of when we think of a a vine and a branch, there's no way that they, they can exist. The branch cannot exist apart from the vine. It's not like the branch can be laying on the ground and and somehow the vine transfers nutrition to the branch. It obviously doesn't work that way. There has to be that union, that joining together of the branch to the vine. Obviously, we get this. We understand this. So then we take it a little bit of a step further with marriage. And Paul jumps to this, and, and again, he's just giving us different examples of this because even um, Paul says this is something that is, is, is beyond our, our ability to comprehend. We're speaking here in human terms. God is more awesome than we know. And isn't that a good thing? Isn't that an absolute blessing that you don't understand the mind of God? Because to be real honest, if I could come before you today and tell you, oh yeah, this is exactly what God is doing in all these circumstances... God wouldn't be that great. He wouldn't be that awesome. So when we come to difficult thought processes, like our union with Christ, our oneness with Christ, let's enjoy that. Let's see the mystery as a beautiful part of our salvation. So Ephesians 5 is one of the more famous passages speaking to the relationship between a husband and a wife. And Paul speaks of it out of Genesis. He uses the same type of thinking In verse 31, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. 
It says it right there. In, in our marriages, I say our. I'm, I'm 47 days away. We're close enough. <laughs> you become one. This is the most intimate, most, most close relationship that we can understand. And I don't even think you can understand it fully. But Paul is using that as an example to try to express that, look, marriage is so sacred. It is such a theological thing that it is a sacrament. It points to Christ in the church. He's using it as an, our marriages should be something that point us to this theology. That is how big of a deal it is. There's a slide, a, a picture. This is so big that, that actually the um, St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, they designed their altar as, as a royal marriage bed to continue to remind them of just how intimate this relationship should be. That when they come together and worship, when they take communion, that it should be so intimate that it should be like our most intimate relationships on earth. A husband and a wife. That's what we're talking about here. A real physical oneness. They two become one. Yes, we don't understand it because I, I don't think that when May 23rd rolls around that me and Ashlyn are really going to morph into one person. I don't see that out here, obviously. But that's how Christ speaks of it. Is it not? And so I think we really need to understand that marriage is a symbol. But what really occurs there is only magnified by what occurs in our spiritual lives when we become one with Christ. So what does this all mean? What does this do? If I truly am one flesh with Christ, I don't feel that. I don't see that. I don't see me being one with Christ. Well, that's because it's a profound mystery, as Paul says right there in that Ephesians passage. It is a mystery. I was wondering why it was so hard to come up with, or to write this sermon. I'm writing on a mystery, something profound, something beyond our human intellect even. And as I said, I want that to be something that is not scary, but something that forces us to be more involved with the text. It's like a game of Clue. Have any of you guys played Clue? That was my favorite growing up. Oh my goodness. A hint, it's always Mrs. White. Always Mrs. White. Clue. Where you, there's a mystery. A who done it? How? Why? Or how? Where? And 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 who? And you move from a house, or from room to room in this this mansion board game, and you try to figure out a little bit more of the mystery, a little bit more to find out who did it. What's well, the same thing with our union with Christ? I'm not going to lie to you. Yes, as Niall said, this is something I am incredibly passionate about. Something that. At college, I had the blessing of learning under great professors this profound mystery. And this isn't something that I finally have arrived and understand. This should be something that I am continuing to open up the text, to, to, to wrestle with the different facets, the different blessings, looking at it from different angles. Because with each, each analog, well, there you go. It, with each um, time we, we analyze um, the scriptures and the things that we have been blessed with, we hopefully will discover a little more clarity 
to the mystery. We are coming a little bit closer. And what that should do, while yes, we, will, we won't know fully this mystery, and we won't understand fully, we won't be able to grapple with the fullness of what our oneness with Christ looks like until we get to heaven. But with that clarity should come an awe and a love and a reverence for Christ, for God, and for what he's done. It truly is absolutely incredible. We're going to look at that. I want us to understand why is Easter so incredible because of our oneness with Christ? Why does this mean participation in Christ's death, resurrection, ascension, glorification? Why why does this matter? When I was in Sunday school, I was taught justification on a flannel graph. They're great. I wish I still had a flannel graph. No, these felt boards. Mine was blue. My Sunday school teacher one day like took the flannel graph and put, you know, a little little flannel Jesus, put him on it, and then a little flannel kid and put me on it. And to teach me the concept of justification of being made righteous, fully totally declared righteous, she just, she used Felt word sin, literally, S-I-N, and stuck it on me, on my little felt me, and, and, and said, okay, we've got a problem. You have sin in your life. It is an issue. It, it is something that, that as, as we all know, it, is, it requires death. That is what the law uh, requires of it. And so she literally would take the sin and move it to Jesus and say, this is what happens on Easter. Sin is moved from you to Jesus, and when he died, it's done away with. How many of you, that, that's kind of the gospel you learned? Well, good, not too many. I, I, I hope. In this sermon, you guys go ahead and take a nap for the rest of it. But that is exactly how I feel we've kind of learned justification. And that might be good just to get us started as, as children. But you see, that is incredibly unjust theology. Yes, it, is an, it paints an incredible picture of God's grace, where God sends his son to, to die for us and everything. That, that is totally 100% true, but he fails to be just. Think of our own justice system. I can be completely righteous and just if I go down the street and I stop at a stop sign. The law has no grip on me. The punishment of the law, there, there's no reason for punishment. I am just. I am righteous. I am justified. I'm also righteous and justified if I come to the stop sign and blow light right through it. Get a ticket and then pay the fine, pay the penalty. I am now, the, the law again has no hold on me. They ha, it has no grip on me. But we would all agree, I feel, it would be incredibly unjust if I had a rich uncle and I just kept blowing through stop signs and he just kept paying my fines. I would be a spoiled brat then, right? That's what we would say. Well, Jesus isn't doing that. He's not just going to let us, you know, okay, we, we sin and we continue to sin, and, and then, okay, well, I died on the cross, so it, it, it's all good. That's where we get into the, where Paul has to say, do we just keep on sinning so that grace may abound? By no means. That's what Paul's talking about, because guess what? You actually died on the cross. That was a big deal for me. That made me in, in class and all of us who were like, wait, what? 
No, no, no. See, the glory of our union with Christ theology means that you died on the cross. It is the perfect balance of grace and justice that God has. That when you are united to Christ, and Christ goes to the cross, and He died, you are united to Him. You are one with Jesus Christ. And so thereby, His death, you died. Now certainly, I I have not been crucified physically. I have not died physically. That, That is the grace aspect. But by no means does that not mean that I have not died on that cross. No, 33 AD on Golgotha, you died. And what a blessing that is. Because from that, you are now truly justified. The sin didn't just pass from you like a backpack, some abstract thing where sin is just like, oh yeah, here Jesus, take this and, 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 and then... No, that, that cripples the gospel. That, make, that minimizes it. It's so much more profound. It's so much more beautiful. Paul, Romans 6. If you haven't wrestled with Romans 6, it is all about this. Romans 6, 6-7. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we no longer would be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Death is required. Not just some physical, yeah, yeah, you're united with Christ. You, you kind of wear his jersey. You don't like the Badgers last night. They all wear the same jersey. In some semblance, they are united together. No. It's not just a wearing a jersey and saying, yeah, go Jesus. It is a literal union. So much so that when Jesus died on the cross, you were crucified on the cross. Death had to be paid because we are all sinners, as you all know. I don't need to spend time on that. We've all sinned and we've had to die. That is the gloriousness of our union with Christ. Same goes then for our holy lives. Yeah, you and I are holy. Isn't that great? That's not just, again, another backpack where Jesus takes off his holiness and just hands it to us. No, you are actually physically not just given holiness, you are holy. How? Because of our oneness, our union with Christ. You were united to him as he walked on earth, living a perfect, holy Christian life. That imputed righteousness comes from being united with Jesus Christ. It is incredible truth. This doesn't stop there. It moves forward with with Jesus' resurrection. In Easter, something we celebrate so much, as we should. What does that mean for us as believers? Well, his resurrection is your resurrection. You were united to him in his resurrection. That was God saying, yeah, you've paid the penalty. Death has no hold on you anymore. There's no reason for you to be dead. You have been raised. The ascension into heaven. You you have been risen with Christ to to the right hand of God. Not not just just kind of uh, metaphysically where it's just kind of like, yeah, I'm risen to to the right hand of God. Oh, that's, that's great, Andrew. Well, that's nice. No, you are at the right hand of God because you are united to Christ. 
You are one with Christ. He has been risen to that place. So thereby, guess what? You are sons and daughters of God. Not because it's just like, well, yeah, here's the blessings of, of, of being a son and daughter of God, but because you are united to the only begotten Son of God. That's a big deal, guys. This is the how of our salvation. Something I always struggled with. is like, I'm a very logical, processing God where things have to have steps. And unfortunately in Scripture, we don't always get to know those things. But this is the how. These are the steps of where we actually are united to Christ. It's not just some removed transaction where, okay, give me your sin, okay, now you're perfect and everything, and now, um, yep, and I'm just going to stamp you and kind of say that you're kind of my son or daughter. and, and kind. No, 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 no. So much more personal, so much bigger, so much more beautiful, so much more profound. It's how the scriptures talk. Is that you are sons and daughters of Christ uh, of God. You are justified. You were crucified. You are raised to new life. All these things. One, as I was studying this week, it's probably one of the most profound things that. As I said, this is something that I'm continuing to wrestle with and discover and, and see the beauty of. But one of the most beautiful things that, that came out of it was looking at John 10, 29, when, when he says, nothing, Jesus literally says, nothing is going to snatch you out of my Father's hands. Well, why is that? Because of our union with Christ. We, we catch it on a little bit. Because of our union with Christ, to snatch you from, from God's hands, well, that's that's to destroy the very Trinity, the very Godhead that, that we worship. Because if you are you truly united to Jesus Christ and to be able to snatch you and separate you from God, he's, it would mean that Jesus was separated from the Trinity. That's not happening. You can know that you are assured of your salvation, that you will not lose your salvation, that God loves you so much that, that, yes, He has you in His hands and He's not letting go just as much as He's not letting go of Jesus Christ, His very own part, the Trinity. Are you getting the beauty, the glory, the majesty of this? The magnitude? All of theology, all of the justification, sanctification, glorification, all these terms that we kind of throw around center around the theology of our union with Christ. And it is beautiful. Because this is what takes it from just something that we, we can come together on Easter and read for off of a page and just say, well, that, that's nice. That's a beautiful story. I'm thankful that Jesus died for me. And this is where we get to say, no, that's me. I died there. I lived that righteous life. I was raised from the dead here. It includes us into the story. We have obtained that participation. Now, certainly, I'm not saying that that we have done any of this. I want to be clear on that. This isn't just a a celebration of, look, look, look at what we did. Certainly not. The Bible is clear that none of this None of this is at all possible without Christ. He obviously is our sacrifice, the one who died for us. But don't miss, don't go so far that, to that direction to where his death is somehow separate from you. Because that too would speak 
that, that would limit the scripture, that, that would limit our gospel, and our gospel is great and mighty, and we need to speak of it in these terms. So this Easter, these next two um, weeks as, as we prepare our hearts for Easter, I want us to think and wrestle, grapple, so to speak, with this concept. Yes, it, it is big. It is huge. And I'm sorry if this has been a difficult sermon to, to track with. It, it is a big thing. But I can assure you that this is something that is so central to who you are as a person. Because it, you are united with Christ. There's no separating. If you are a believer in Christ, you have not been separated, will not be separated. This is who you are. And it is, it is a beautiful, wonderful reality. And so as we come to Easter, wrestle with this. Think through as you read the stories, these wonderful stories of, of, of Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, where he is now. Remember, you are united to him. You live that perfect life, so you have righteousness. You died on the cross, so you are justified. You are risen from the dead because you have no guilt. You have no nothing left to pay. You're raised to heaven because your dad wants his prince and princess there with him. That is our theology. That is our gospel. That is our Easter. It's not just some photo book to flip and, oh, that, that, that's nice. What, oh, what, what a lovely picture. That's great. No, this is our gospel. It is incredibly personal, incredibly intricate, incredibly beautiful and wonderful to who we are. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for um, the miracle of our union with you, Lord. I thank you that we are united to you, Lord, that the realities of, of who you are are ours because of this. Lord, I, I pray that um, we would go from here and just really wrestle with this, that we would see the beauty, the wonder, the glory of this reality, that we are united to you. I pray this Easter that we would see it as something just so profound, something beautiful that we have participated in, not removed from us, but something that is truly ours in you, Lord. Thank you for what you've done this Easter. Thank you. We ask these things in your name. Amen. There is no cross-training today. Um, you guys... Um, there's no Sunday school or anything for that. Enjoy your last day of spring break, kids. Um, and, um, yeah, we'll start back up with those um, this coming um, Sunday. But there is going to be, um, I believe, the, the cross-training group at, at Niles' house on Wednesday, 6.30.